Come in, Ocean Sailor. Come in, Ocean Sailor. The Ocean Sailor Podcast. Brought to you by Ocean Sailor Magazine and Kraken Yachts. Hello and welcome to Ocean Sailor Podcast. And this is uh, number three, as it happens, uh, with the two dicks, me, Dick Durham, and he, Dick Beaumont. And today we're going to discuss gun law or guns on the high seas. Should you have a gun on board or should you not? Yeah, thanks, Dick. Hi, everyone. Uh, got some great stuff for you on the podcast today. I'm sure you'll uh, be very interested in it. I certainly couldn't tear my own ears away from it. Wherever you go in the world, gun laws are going to be different. They're very strict in some areas and a bit more lax in others. Um, and as a rule, you don't know who's carrying a gun, who isn't. You mostly assume that people are not carrying guns. Um, super yachts and, of course, freighters um, do carry marine security because, of course, they are targeted vessels. They're hugely valuable, and when they're in uh, uh, piracy areas, then, of course, they do need extra special protection. But that isn't the sort of thing that affects us and isn't the sort of thing we're going to be talking about. It's really the debate about, you know, should you arm yourself to protect yourself? And when it comes to having a gun, um, the attitude towards it and even the philosophy behind it, and never mind the legalities, are different wherever you go in the world. And it's all very well for me to sit here yapping on about it when I've done mostly coastal sailing in UK and home waters. But Dick Beaumont has been far afield uh, and has certainly had experiences of quite hair-raising. And he has uh, asked himself the question, should I or should I not have had a gun? So we'll listen to what he has to say. And, of course, Renan Timerson um, faced a gun he had a semi-automatic uh, weapon pointed at him. So, of course, his views are very pertinent to this uh, podcast. Yeah, well, Dick, I think you're right there. You know, everybody around the world, each nation has got a different attitude towards guns uh, or firearms in general. You know, you go from American attitude, which, of course, they got the Second Amendment, to a situation in, in Europe uh, where most people would run a mile from even having a gun in their home let alone picking it up and using it. Yes, of course, it's perfectly understandable. But however, sailing sailing through international waters is very different from sailing into a nation state's territory. There's, of course, the moral issue or the ethical issue, should you carry a gun or there isn't. But there's also some practical considerations that I think a lot of people may not be completely aware of. And they are an issue or they are issues that are difficult to overcome. Um, in the first place, customs, in my own experience, fall into uh, fallen into two categories, which is those that will um, come on board the boat, allow you to seal a weapon or weapons into a purpose-built gun locker, and they'll put a seal on it. Um, that seal then goes on to your paperwork and your exit paperwork, your transit paperwork while you're in that country. And then when you come to exit the country, the customs there, the immigration or customs, sometimes one and the same, will come on board, will check the seal number and check that the seal's intact and all is good. Woe betide you if that seal isn't intact because it's a tacit a demonstration of the fact that you actually use this gun in their territory and you're going to be in a world of trouble. And of course, <laughs> you've then got to say, well, okay, so I've got this gun to defend myself, but I can't use it because it's locked in a cabinet. And the only time <laughs> then you are likely to be using it is when you're not in that country. And, and I do think that the majority of problems are going to be somewhere close to the coast, not far off ashore. But the next situation is even more difficult, which is that they will, and most I think this applies to, they will uh, confiscate the weapon, give you, you know, a proper uh, detailed acceptance of that weapon. They will then uh, hold that weapon and release that weapon back to you when you leave their country. The problem for ocean-going or world-cruising yachtsmen is, of course, that they're very unlikely to be wanting to leave from the same place they stood, the port that they entered. is very unlikely to be the port that they're going to uh, exit from. Uh, 
And now you've got a situation, for example, in the Philippines or in Indonesia or Papua New Guinea, where there's 5,000 islands uh, and you're 2,000 miles apart and somehow you're going to expect the customs or you yourself to organise getting that to your point of exit um, in the time that it suits you to take it. And I can tell you, it just didn't get happen. Um, I had a spear gun confiscated uh, in uh, Indonesia in one point. They decided they thought it was a dangerous weapon and it was for spear fishing, of course. They confiscated it. Um, and I was able to collect that back from that particular um, area uh, authority, which was the same place that took it. And it took me four days to get it back from the same place. And everybody was on holiday. Everybody didn't know what I was talking about. It was all just an absolute nightmare. So trying to get it back from the other side of the country and in a different island with a, yeah, good luck. I don't think it's going to happen. So you had to um, them on steaks instead of fish then, Dick? Yeah, was, yeah exactly. Yeah, I think we still did fish. So right. that was okay. Right. But then, then you've, this brings forward then the next two dilemmas, really, because you've the alternative to that is to say, okay, well, look, I won't take a gun into some given country, but, you know, I fancy that I need a gun when I'm in there. You could run that argument in Papua New Guinea, I would say. Um, and then you, what you would need to do is buy a gun uh, once you're in that country. And who you're buying a gun from is effectively an illegal arms dealer. Mm. And you know, <laughs> you're doing a dance with the devil. Mm. And the other alternative, which is, is I think even worse, is that um, you smuggle the gun in. If you, if you smuggle the gun in and they take sniffer dogs on board, like they do in Australia and other places, uh, they'll find the gun and uh, you're going to be banged up and your yacht is going to be impounded and confiscated and you're in another world of nightmares. So there are practical considerations that uh, I'd like to flag up um, beyond the wish lists and the ethics and the morals that we might have. That's what I've experienced. So there's a philosophy and there's practicalities, obviously, with all Yeah, this. you can dream yeah. whatever you want to dream, can't yeah. you? Whether you, can, yeah. whether you can actually pull it off. And it's like, like we find in many situations... Uh, you know, traveling yeah. around the world. And I think this is another thing which, you know, we tend to think that we should be able to apply our laws. Uh, this is very common, uh, an attitude, that we should be able to apply our laws, the laws of the country of our residents, to the country that we're entering into. And it's so far from the truth because it's just, yeah, yeah, thanks very much, mate, but this is actually our country, not yours. So, mm. yeah, you don't have any rights, none. You, as, mm. a transit, as a transiting yacht, yachtsman, you are itinerant. You've got to think about that. You, mm. you know, um, they allow you in under their pleasure, and when they don't want you to be there anymore, away you go. And so I think this is particularly applicable when we're talking about uh, guns and arms and, uh, and all the rest of it. Even though, uh, of course, a vessel to some extent is a sovereign territory, is it not? But no, I no. don't think it is. No. Dick. Okay. I think I think you 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 I, I can tell you this: you absolutely have to be there on the basis that you are their guest at yeah. their behest, sure. and it, and you're going to play by their rules, and you don't want to play by their rules. You're just going to go. You're just going to be sailing out to sea at very short notice. <laughs> Or, or worse, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, we I'm could sorry. get into the subject of Australian customs and immigrations another time, but yeah. try messing them around and see how far you get. Oh, fair. Oh, fair. Much <laughs> different from most other places. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And, of course, as well as uh, your experiences, Dick, in Papua New Guinea, uh, we are going to be talking to René Timerson today. Um, we featured him in Ocean Sailor magazine, uh, you may recall, in the February issue. And of course, his stories are already also on the website. Uh, he's got some alarming stories to tell, but it's even better to hear them in the first person, I think. Yeah, I mean, Rene is a very good friend of mine. He's been a good friend for quite a few years. We, we met in Phuket um, and we both were so enamoured with the whole Thailand sailing region that we based our boats there for a considerable amount of time. 
um, and became very good friends uh, in, in those times. There's Renee, his wife Edith, and they had a young, they have a young daughter called Debbie. She was a babe at that particular time. Um, and Renee went north uh, and up and ran through Pirate Alley, which uh, I'm, he's got some <laughs> hair raising experiences to recount. Um, I went uh, south, I went down through Indonesia then right up and over uh, and through Papua and Papua New Guinea, through the Louisiades and into Australia and then on down the coast of Australia. Um, and it was in Papua New Guinea, really, that uh, I had uh, an awful lot of experiences that uh, um, kind of left me in a bit of a quandary. But we'll come to that. You know, we'll hear, be good to hear from Rene first. So maybe yeah. we'll give Rene a call up. That sounds like a great idea. I'm looking forward to hearing from Rene again. Always a, an interesting man to listen to. Yeah, one thing for sure with Rene, you're, you're never left wondering what his point of view is. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's very he's very forth, forthright, you know, being Dutch, but I mean, he's, he's Dutch on steroids, really. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for lending us your ears. We will hope you lend us your ears on a regular basis for these podcasts. And if you do enjoy listening to them, we certainly enjoy you listening to us. Please support us. We are available on most uh, podcasting services, um, and we are also available on the Ocean Sailor and Kraken Yachts YouTube channels. Please have a look. Have a listen. Join us. Subscribe. Tell us what you think. <laughs> Even if it's excoriating, we don't mind. We can take it. We're sailors. Thank you very much. So I'm going to call up my good friend, uh, Rene Timerson, and uh, we'll uh, see what he has to say on the subject of uh, arms on board. I know he's had some very, very significant uh, uh, experiences. Uh, it'd be good to hear what he's got to say. So I don't know if you're there, Rene. Yes, of course. Of course, Dick. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening, wherever you are in the world listening to this podcast. Yes, I'm there. And, uh, of course, we've been good friends for, I guess, uh, 12, 15 years. How old is Debbie now? Uh, Debbie, our daughter, was born in Phuket in 2011. So, uh, no, 2009, sorry. So, uh, yeah, we've been um, friends almost uh, as long as that. I think a little bit longer. Yeah, she was, we just, were there. she was just a few months old when uh, I met you. Uh, yeah. I remember, I wonder, I wonder if you remember this, Rene. Um, we met over a mutual dislike of a guy called Stefan. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Stefan, of course, was a refrigeration engineer who uh, <laughs> had a degree in arrogance that uh, none of us had really <laughs> met much before. I suppose, it's, I suppose it's just as well for Stefan that neither of you were armed. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah, is really yeah, the yeah, subject yeah. that we're here to talk about. Eh? Well, uh, Dick and I are discussing the subject of uh, guns on board and whether you should, uh, in fact, have a gun or you shouldn't. I know you've got very strong views on it, but um, in particular, you've had some experiences. So I wonder if we would be a good place to start with just telling us, uh, I think there were kind of three significant incidences that occurred in the Red Sea or just outside the Red Sea. So, you know, tell us about those, Rene. Uh, yes, Dick, yeah. Uh, well, I have to take you back into uh, the history a little bit. We, we left the Met in 2007 to uh, go. Our, our destination was actually was India to begin with. And later that became uh, Thailand. Uh, and when we, um, of course, we entered from here through uh, the Suez Channel into the Red Sea. Now, as maybe anyone knows who's ever been there, it's quite a rugged piece of terrain. And you have a thousand miles from um, uh, Port Suez down to the entrance of the Red Sea, which is called Papa Mamdeb, where the piracy area starts. Now, in that time, uh, it was quite... Um, well known how the situation was and it was yes it was dangerous it was believed to be better to sail in some form of uh, convoy although that was pretty loose the route was well known and when we came to the uh, we were together with some 20 other boats 
which was kind of loose, uh, meaning that we were sailing day trips, so you were sailing them on your own or a couple of day trips, and then you would gather again in some sort of uh, Marsa, which is the name of the base there, or uh, at some so point. So this is, so really, this is just kind of a, a mutual uh, bunch of boats that were all happened to be going at the same time. There's nothing very specifically organized, is that right? right? It was called a rally, but it was very unorganized. And what we organized, we did amongst each other. And we had this uh, a radio, a morning radio, where that was, in, in this case, was us uh, who did the morning radio. We had this sort of a thing about uh, what the weather was like and, and uh, uh, a fun thing. And then uh, one morning, just very close, because if Baba Mandep, it was a very particular route we, we had to take to avoid getting to the west coast of uh, Yemen too soon, because there were rebels active and there were people shooting at each other already. And um, so we had to pass as far if you go south to the east, uh, to the west side of the, of the Red Sea, and then just at Baba Mandep, head on over to the other side. And that is where it went wrong. That's also the point where you come closest to Somalia. Now, you have to understand <clears throat> that when you are sailing there, um, you have visuals to land on either side uh, pretty much all the way. Uh, but the problem is that these, uh, the wind is often fierce, so you have to really wait your moment. And one morning we left very early, around six o'clock in the morning, because the wind had gone down and we were sort of sailing through Baba Mandep when suddenly a skiff appeared. And, um, you know, the thing is, these boats are super fast. And from the moment you see them till the moment that they arrive to your boat is only one minute. So the chances missing them uh, even before they get to your boat is pretty big because uh, you're not looking over your shoulder all the time. So one morning suddenly this skip was there and it appeared out of nowhere and it was uh, came very close to the boat up to about 10 feet. And uh, there were about five, six guys inside all armed with uh, Kalashnikovs and uh, screaming and yelling at us and uh, they clearly wanted us to stop and uh, whatever and i sent my crew down below immediately so i was alone on deck i was on the full sail and on the 60 foot so really just in, interrupt you there who, who was with you on board i was there with edith my wife and one south african girl a crew uh she was on our on a maiden voyage with us. No, I was not completely sure. She was with us for a couple of months, but she had never been anywhere really out to sea. So this was a pretty scary thing. So we I sent her down them down below because I didn't want to be confronted with another issue with these girls. And um, these guys came very close and they started pointing these Kalashnikovs at me. And the strange thing was I wasn't really scared what I would have believed to be in the in the first place eh? when somebody points a gun that since you've never had that that you think you're getting very scared but I was only angry so I became super angry and started shouting out the top of my lungs uh, to them to them uh, that they had to leave and that in a, in a, in a, in a more, more popular way uh, <laughs> to basically f off and, and, and don't point the gun at me and get that gun out of my face and, and at the top of my lungs. And in the meantime, and this was a thing, I had the radio, my VHF radio outside. So I started calling Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. We're on the possible attack. Uh, can anyone please come to help? Uh, we are in that and that position. All very short messages. And then instantly this clutter of, of radio messages started to appear that were on a speaker outside that they could obviously also hear. And while I was um, uh, uh, shouting at them, the first one sort of shrugged and said, uh, and, and, and while he was still pointing the Kalashnikov at me, turned around to his mates who were looking at him like, like, yeah, we don't know what's happening. He's obviously not giving up. He's not giving in. 
And the, the sole fact... <laughs> i got to interrupt you there, Rene. Of course, I've seen the wrath of the Rene on one or more occasions over time with, uh, as you've said before, people that uh, you're not entirely happy with. And uh, I sympathised with them. There was only five of them, and, and, <laughs> and they only had guns. <laughs> so you, Arenny Timerson, screaming at them at the top of his voice, that must have caught them totally off balance. Yeah, yeah it, it did. But what I realised there, but it was also during my voyage through the Red Sea already in Sudan and in Eritrea and in the south of, 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 of Egypt, is that the cultural difference between them and us is so massive that the, if I would have had a gun at that moment, the, the whole vibe of that incident would have had a complete different outcome. Because mm. since they knew I was physically not a, a threat, or th this threat was imminent, that they had the gun and I didn't, uh, didn't trigger them to shoot at me. And, and you know, uh, people of the Arabian Peninsula, especially when they're at sea, they almost chew, all chew cut, which is a uh, quite a heavy uh, a, a leaf. What's it called again? Cut, which is a leaf that they, they chew, sort of a tea leaf, but it makes you uh, enormously numb and high. And it's not like I, I normally don't see it when people are under the influence. When people are under the influence of cut, you will definitely see it. It's swollen eyes and they're really a little bit off the world. Wow. And all these guys <laughs> suffer from that. So, you know, and together with the fact that their cultural background is so completely different, completely used to wearing guns, completely to, uh, used to being alive and dead. Uh, if you go into the desert of Sudan, you find tribes that have virtually nothing and they bury the first four kids that they have because uh, four out of five die. So the whole thing about life and death is a completely different uh, approach. And that makes um, that uh, with a gun there, you stand no chance. Because even if you have a shotgun or a handgun, what happens if five of them start shooting with their Kalashnikovs? Yeah, I mean, you're, 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 mm. you're as good as dead, for sure. Yeah, but besides the fact that they are used to using that thing, and I'm not, I'm not a professional shooter, and I don't train myself every day, so it's completely useless in that instant. But what happened in the course of the day, I kept on screaming, they shrugged, they didn't know what to do, and there was more and more clutter on the radio and, and, and people told that they were turning around, although they were not within uh, visual uh, sight, they were further away than that. Uh, and all together in that moment and their distraction and my determination to get rid of them uh, led to the fact that, that remember, we were on the full sail, we're doing upwind about no, nine, nine oh, you, and a half you, months. And, and Rena, you, you still continued under sail. Yeah, I was under autopilot you, and sail was full on. And uh, so, so these are they're, they're, all of this shouting going. You're you're sailing on, trying to get yeah. set the scene. I mean, it's a horrific circumstance. So you're under sail on uh, Alondra, of course, the beautiful boat that you had, yeah. and uh, and they're keeping pace with you, basically telling you to stop. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you're just. Uh, kind of uh, explaining to them you don't want to. Yeah, the sea was <laughs> not very rough, but you had, let's say, half a meter, half 40 centimeters waves, or it was blowing maybe 15, 15 to, to 18 knots or something. And in that skiff, it, uh, that sk these skiffs are about, um, now what are they, 25 foot, uh, uh, open, open skiffs with a 70 horsepower Yamaha behind it, mostly these old uh, uh, Enduro Yamahas. And yeah, in, that, in the wake of, these, of, these, of the boat, but in, in the waves, they have a pretty rough time. I mean, on Alondra, a 60 foot, 30 ton boat, yeah, upwind on these waves is nothing. But for them, it was a pretty rough ride to begin with. And, and I was doing nine knots yeah, upwind. So it was not an easy, 
easy game for them. How long did they stick around and what did they do in the end? What happened? Did they just go or what? The whole incident took maybe uh, not longer than 15 minutes uh, over shouting. It was a long time. Eh? I remember that. I mean, it was, uh, it was longer than I wanted to. Uh, but at some point, they shrugged. They, they didn't know what to do. They held back a little bit. And they started, of course, conversing amongst each other what's next. But at that time, they were already some 30 foot away. And now they're backing off a little bit further. And then I kept on shouting and I kept on telling that help was on the way and and lying that uh, the, 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 the Navy was close by and I don't know what I said. And then in the end, they gave up, you know, and they, they went. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I bet there was a fair bit of silence on board uh, after they'd gone, I, you know, because when you're in the middle of these kind of incidences, the adrenaline's running, you're fired up and, and then it's over. And there's, well, in my estimation and what's happened to me, there's just kind of silence. And, and then the true reality of what happened perhaps dawns on you after, would you say? Yeah, you know, we had been in the Red Sea already for uh, a little over than two and a half months. We had been up the Strait of Aqaba to Jordan. Uh, so we, we, we'd seen a lot there. And you, you enter into a complete new reality. So your, 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 your kind of uh, acceptance to that reality also changes and your life even uh, gets a new, uh, comes into a new reality. But yes, of course, the girls were, uh, uh, and Edith is, a, you know her, she's a strong woman. And uh, Nadia, our, our uh, South African uh, crew, super strong girl. But yeah, uh, I did were... actually meet her, Renna. I did yeah. meet Nadia. She was with you for a fair bit of time uh, down in uh, yeah. Thailand, wasn't she? But, yeah, but, yeah. but you know, uh, yeah, it's a traumatic thing. And, and at that moment, you're, you're not so much, you don't realize that so much. Uh, um, actually, for me, it came out years later, but that was also after the second incident where. Uh, uh, I had the second incident, which I will talk about a little bit later. But um, uh, at that moment, you know how that works. You've crossed oceans more often than I did. And there is no going back. There is no giving up. Um, there is no handing in the reins and say, uh, here you go. No, you, you just continue. And, and, and so that's also the the, the autopilot that you drive on. Just just to come in there, if I may, sorry to interrupt no, no, no. Uh, that account because it's absolutely fascinating and very valuable to hear it firsthand like that. Um, I, I mean, my what comes up in my mind, first of all, is what did your wife and crew say when it was all over? I mean, did what did they think was going to happen when they heard you shouting at these guys? They realised <laughs> yeah. they were armed. The funny thing was that Edith went, as I said, below. They did do go below. So I was alone on deck um, um, and, and uh, deliberately because I didn't want them also to be uh, yes or no attracted to the women that were there. So I thought it's better to have them down below. And Edith mm. started hiding the computers and the money and the passports, which is a typical female thing to do. Yeah? Uh, you start organizing. And, and, and as I said, Edith is a strong woman. So we were kind of, when we all came out of this, we were kind of laughing. She was laughing about me shouting. And uh, I was laughing about her trying to hide the money and the, and the passports and the computers, which, which in the end, of course, uh, I don't know, if they really come on board, uh, yeah, then you have to probably give it up. So, Rene, that was laughter then as a relief. Yeah, I yeah, guess. of course, yeah. Yeah, of course, you're yeah, all yeah. nervous and you you feel you also don't realize quite in what kind of danger you've just been in. Uh, no. I don't know. Mm. Uh, it's something yeah, unhuman almost that that you you start thinking the worst immediately. So you sort of laugh it off and later you have a barbecue all together and 
uh, you laugh even harder because people said, yeah, we could hear you shout almost a mile away. Uh, we heard you shout through the radio. <laughs> it's also very relieving sometimes to let off some steam, of course, uh, and, and you have to use it in the right way. But certainly it came in very handy there. And I, I would absolutely advise anyone Start screaming, yelling, do whatever you can do to to make clear that you you don't want uh, uh, you don't want happening what's what's happening to, to you at that moment. And um, that's very interesting because you see a lot of people, and I probably would include myself in this. I mean, my natural reaction would be if I had my wife and and, and well anyone on board. Um, I think it's a very brave thing to do that you did and responsible. You sent them below cleverly. You didn't want, you know, uh, ladies being an issue with these the guys as well. I totally get that. But you're on your own. You're shouting. I think my response would have been um, to try to talk to them, to try to negotiate, and, and to try to reason. And that probably, uh, well, clearly. It wouldn't have worked, would it? Let me just tell you, I've been in a, a kind of a similar situation when, and I can't completely get what where you're coming from here, Renee, because you, you're not necessarily really thinking about what you're doing. You're just reacting. Um, when I sailed uh, first into in, from Indonesia into Papua, uh, first is Papua New Guinea, and then first is Papua, then there's Papua New Guinea. Um, and as we were crossing into uh, Papua New Guinea, we went in to find a little dive location. We, what we normally did is we, about four o'clock uh, at the end of a, whatever passage we were making, we'd dip in, find an anchorage somewhere, uh, then come out, do a dive and go back to the anchorage. And that's, that was our kind of general day plan. This particular place was a place called New Amsterdam. And um, we went in there and it sounded bizarre. It sounds now bizarre afterwards, but we sailed around the back of this small island, which looked like it was going to be a good anchorage. And there was a village there and there was a big archway and hanging up in the archway, hanging up or um, as ornaments, there were all kinds of bones. And I remember we could see this clearly. And I remember saying to the guys, come, look at this. They must be uh, headhunters here or, you know, cannibals or something. <laughs> All jolly good fun stuff. And we then found an anchorage and, and we went back out to dive. What we didn't know is that they mobilised and they sent out a panga, um, I think with the chief and uh, seven other guys. As we were now um, looked to them like we were going, they came in this panga, which had two outriders, um, and this guy stood up in the middle, a guy, I think he was the chief, and shouted, you come, you come. And he wasn't, it wasn't a polite invitation. That was quite clear, it wasn't. And uh, straight away I realised, hang on, we've got a bit of a problem here. Um, and uh, I shouted, no, we're going, we're going. And he said, no, you come, you come, you come. And now all seven eight, or eight guys have stood up in this panga and they're, they're waving their fists and arms and telling us we've got to go with them. Um, and uh, I just carried on going. I throttled her up um, and started to motor uh, out to sea as fast as I could at eight knots. Well, they uh, then tried to come underneath the dinghy and board us uh, from the stern. Um, and what, of course, that wasn't such an easy thing to do because they've got this panga with outriders. But by now, I'm now shouting and screaming at him. And, and I had six, well, five in, plus myself, quite big lads as crew. I got everybody out and I uh, said, right, look, guys, this is this is big deal. We got to big this. We got to really big this up. And it didn't ever occur to me that what we should do is give in. And afterwards, I thought, well, <laughs> it might have been the thing to do, but I didn't. Anyway, they tried to board us. And as they coming back underneath the transom to try and get onto the reverse sheer transom, what I did is I, I slowed down as I saw what they were trying to do. I sort of slowed down as if I was going to let them board us. And then as soon as they got close, they put a guy out on the panga 
on the outrider, outrigger, and I put the hammer down fast, and and there was all of a sudden a gap, uh, and I one of my guys was standing there with with something very intimidating like a boat hook to try and push him off, and uh, anyway they couldn't make it across. So what they then did is they they came around in front of us, and they pulled back a canvas on the foredeck, and. Uh, underneath that is a grappling so this guy in the bow he's standing with a grappling hook it's quite obvious what he's going to try and do he's going to throw it onto the boat and uh, board us anyway i'm slowing down and veering off and they oh, that doesn't work for them so what they did and the mistake they made fortunately for me is they tried to cut us off and they went across this uh, bow of the boat trying to cut off where we're going onto outer sea and what I did is I put the hammer right down hard and I swung the vessel at the last minute and I just clipped the corner of one of the outriggers and it threw the guy with the grappling into the sea. And um, we then, uh, obviously they got to try and recover him on board. And as luck would have it, um, there was a fair bit of wind and we were getting further and further and further offshore. So uh, we got we got away. Effectively, we 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 did get away. So I understand that, and I didn't, of course, had have a gun. We got spear guns out and flares and machetes and and all the rest of it. But uh, <laughs> and then again, you talk about it afterwards, and you analyze well, you know, what might you have done? And of course, it's not quite so easy to analyze it at the time that it's happening. So, Reda, you know, that's that was one of the experiences I had. But I think you had uh, a couple more. It'd be good to hear about those too. Yeah, you know, sailing through these areas, and as you have seen in Papua New Guinea, the, the story that you just told us, is I, I can fully uh, uh, um, support that, that, that thing. It has happened, of course, when you're traveling around the world like you have, and we've been living on our boat for years, uh, sailing around, you, you, you get into incidents, whether it is people from the harbor or that is remote islands, or maybe you dock the wrong, on the wrong little jetty, or you confront the wrong fisherman, whatever it is. Uh, but what you learn, and especially when you are in these, uh, in these far out areas, that the situation between people is completely different. I always describe this to people as where uh, if, two, if two of us would stand opposite of each other with a gun, as, as you and an English and me as a Dutch guy, and we point guns at each other, we still have some sort of understanding. Uh, we still have a sort of a same, similar background. I know where you come from. I know where you're going. At least that is my mindset. And we start shouting at each other and I'll call you a son of a, and you call me the same and you tell me my mother was, a. this goes on and the tension builds, but, but somehow and while we are pointing the gun, somehow we still have this mutual understanding. And we sort of know when we go over the edge and probably one of us pulls the trigger. And that understanding is completely gone in the areas that you are just describing. Your background is so completely different from theirs that you can't, uh, uh, you can't expect them to build up the tension the same way. Their, their span of tension is completely different. And that me, me, makes that you are uh, absolutely in, in, you're three nil behind in everything you do. Plus the fact that they always carry the gun, and like in Somali or in, in Sudan, there is this myth, this tribe. They live in Eritrea and Sudan. It's a particular tribe, tall man, two meter long, dark, long hair up until almost their waist, and they carry medieval swords, not some small dagger, no, 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 one and a half meter, five foot swords on their back, medieval swords. They're not using them for peeling tomatoes or potatoes. Yeah? <laughs> and that's what they carry around it's all day, every day. They look like cat weasel, all of them. I mean, so if you, if you stand opposite of one of these guys, they're very friendly. But if you get into a problem with them, 
They they pull out the sword. That's what they do. They kill each other over a over a lamb. Joe Rennie, you're you're so right with that because that is that is exactly the same mindset that you're talking about that exists in Papua New Guinea. There are 860 different languages, not dialects, and there are so many different languages because every village is at war with the next village exactly everyone we can't understand that we don't understand that we obviously have no idea how that works but if you live in an area like that already for thousands of years yeah it's not going to change because a dick Beaumont or Rene Timison comes there and tells them maybe it's not the way to do it it's not going to work <laughs> it's not going to work no, no but well put so so your clear position is don't have a gun. Uh, my clear position is that uh, uh, don't think that that will happen what you think will happen. Don't think this is a movie. Don't think this is a, this is a script where you get to say certain things and get to do certain things. If you would have asked me about the incident before it happened, and I think I did because we discussed things like that before we left, obviously, like what would happen in case somebody would come with a gun? And I always said, ah, look, if, as soon as the gun is involved, uh, I surrender, uh, I give up, I let them in, and then I start negotiating. This is my, what I thought would happen. Yeah, and it turned out to be completely different. I also thought I would be absolutely terrified. I wasn't terrified, not a second, not, not a split second, I was not at all. I wasn't intimidated by this gun. I was angry that he pointed it at me. So, you know, to all the people that think they can write the script for a future script for a future event, which involves any form of uh, uh, aggravation or weapons, Forget it. It's going to be completely different. And you don't know how you're going to react. Uh, like Dick just said, yeah, I don't know. I think I would have said, okay, let's come on board and let's negotiate. You simply don't know. And you know now because you've been in a situation like that in Papua. And I've been into several of these incidents. And I know how I would. Um, thank you very much indeed for lending us your ears. If you enjoy what you're hearing, then please subscribe to us. Or even better, leave us a review. Tell us where we're going wrong or where we're going right. Always good to hear from you. Thank you very much. It's been a fascinating uh, podcast listening to Rene. In fact, so interesting, we've had to break it in two. So we're going to leave Rene there. Of course, this had an impact on Rene, um, his uh, brush-up a brush against the pirates and he will tell us about that in the next podcast uh, which we are due to broadcast on april the 5th i think yeah some amazing stuff as you said dick it was so many stories there's too much to cram into just one uh podcast so we're going to do a part two um i can't wait to listen to that uh because um unbelievably renee went back up from uh phuket uh, back up through Pirate Alley into the Med. Um, and, you know, pretty serious stuff. Uh, and he paid the price a, a bit on that. Um, and he's been bold enough to tell us all about it. So part two, uh, coming out on the 5th of April, will be pretty interesting stuff. So, yeah, that'll have you on the edge of your seats. So I'm absolutely certain about that. Some hair-raising stuff. And what have we got coming up in uh, Ocean Sailor this month then, Dick? I think there's a lot to go at, isn't there? Well, plenty of uh, good stuff, of course, uh, but I'm no fool. But remember, it comes out on April the 1st. So there's a clue about one <laughs> of the issues. It may or may not be in there. We don't know. Um, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think following on from this, I think, very interesting podcast on, on guns, whether you gun law, have it on board or not, you've done a follow-up article for us on that, which I haven't had a chance to look at yet, but uh, I think you're halfway through that, aren't you? Yeah, I've, I've almost got it finished, um, and it, it covers a few a few more issues that uh, are from different viewpoints as well. Um, and, uh, but it's the, it's the first of a three part onboard security series we're going to do. So it's going to, that I'm going to do. So that's going to be um, uh, the issue that we've just talked about guns. 
Um, and then also we're going on to uh, security, uh, security risks region-wise. And then finally, it's going to be um, some uh, tips and advice on what you can do to reduce risk to yourself uh, in these circumstances. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, we, we hopefully people are going to find that quite interesting. Well, I'm sure they will. I, I have to say you've done a you've been a serious ocean sailor. I'm more of a coastal man, so it hasn't really cropped up so much for me. But looking on the Internet and having done stories with many sailors over the years at, in Yachting Monthly, one of the big problems was for a long time uh, kind of opportunistic crime in the Caribbean. Uh, people getting outboard stolen and stuff like that. So I know it is a big issue. It's talked about a lot. And I, and I think it will be very useful. Then also we've got uh, Totem, the the, uh, the couple that uh, went offshore, sold up everything. Actually, they did keep a house ashore in the end, but they sold up most of their things, went off with their children uh, and taught them at sea, made a circumnavigation. They've done, they've put up together some very useful websites on which you with a lot of tips on how to teach your children at sea, how to take them away and give them this, well, let's face it, fantastic experience, possibly better than any schoolroom will ever give you. They also wrote the book, quite literally. There is a book that we will feature in Mariner's Library from them on, on how to do exactly that. I'm, in, I'm incredibly interested in that. Uh, in my early days of sailing, a Swedish couple uh, that I uh, met had uh, a young uh, boy on board and uh, they were teaching him uh, my and Tenny their name was if they're still around and still listening um, and uh, they taught this uh, young lad on board and uh, uh, stayed away for a, a fixed amount of time I think in their case it was two years and funnily enough I, I recently met a couple of Swedes um, in a place called Agro de Harissimo and uh, I need to you go to school to better spell it wouldn't you <laughs> exactly <laughs> but uh, incredible place that that's in the azores by the way and uh, they had uh, two young boys uh, one 10 one 11 um the youngest one anders completely blew me away i mean they, they, you know of course most swedes speak incredibly good english anyway but at 10 and uh, 10 and 11 years old these guys you didn't know you, you couldn't even detect that an accent and they were so mature and this young lad is asking me all questions about how the sail balances and how the this works and the solent rig this and how the long keel does it. I was just completely swept away. And the, the other thing that I'm intrigued to be talking to uh, Totem about and hearing their story, we're going to have them on for a podcast as well. Yes. Uh, is I understand uh, they sailed through Papua New Guinea, uh, going similar route, I think, to myself. Uh, with their children as well, they did. In, they did indeed, and they were they. <laughs> they they told me that uh, when they were in Australia, uh, they were asked where they were going, and the when they said they were going to Papua New Guinea, uh, they were told, "Well, it's you, you'll get your head chopped off, and it'll be put on a pole." Uh, and <laughs> he said, "When we arrived, all we met was friendly people who told us how to build boats." Yeah, I, I, I think you know when you consider. I don't know. I haven't said this, but I was I was in Papua. New Guinea for three and a half months um, and the incidences that I've described to today uh, probably amounted to three or four hours out of three and a half months so clearly I mean they're the things that stick in your mind of course but um, yeah I was extremely lucky I, I met a guy on the way in a guy called Andrew Streeter and uh, anyway he said oh yeah he said if you're going into Papua New Guinea You've got to take packs of pencils, pads, bags of sugar, flour, rice, soap, uh, and you take lots of them. He said, because, you know, you, nobody wants money. He said, they just want to barter for what they haven't got. And I, that was so fortunate. He gave me that uh, that information. Um, and we did. We bartered all the way through. We even had... We've, the funny thing was in one particular place um, that this lady came out um, and wanted to barter us and she had tomatoes and she had potatoes and all manner of uh, all manner of uh, cucumbers and lettuces and all manner of stuff. And uh, I'm, of course, big into curry. And I said to her, have you got any chilies? So she said, oh, yes, yes, I'll bring you some chilies. So she came back and she 
clearly ripped up a chili bush and gave me the whole bush with about 200 chilies on it, which I then dried and lasted us right the way through Papua. So we had some fantastic, had some fantastic time. I would definitely go back there. Yeah. So we've also, we've also, Dick, haven't we? Um, Morgan Grace, a regular contributor to Ocean Sailors, doing an article on uh, fire extinguishers, the right type to use, fire extinguisher systems. That'll yes. be really good, eh? It will be very interesting. It's part of a follow-up of his uh, safety at sea and how to prepare a boat, etc. Yeah, it's very good. And uh, incidentally, uh, whilst I was talking to Morgan before he wrote it, he mentioned, of course, his experiences of brushes with with pirates and uh, and the and the issue of weapons on board. And I asked him, would he carry a gun? And he said. Only if I if only if I had a, a US Navy SEAL on board and I could guarantee that his gun was bigger than the ones we're likely to face. So in other words, yeah, I no. think you know, when we distill all of this out, if you are if you have been professionally trained to use arms, then maybe maybe, maybe it's a consideration. But if not, you've got to leave it out, haven't you? Yeah. I think I think uh, you, you know this discussion's definitely made my mind up. I I must admit I'd I'd kind of played with the idea, but never been brave enough to have actually gone and bought a gun. No. Because anyway, then as I said right at the start, you confront all of the issues of what you're actually going to do. Yeah. So I think you know a lot of the security companies when they're heading outside the region, the the, the guns were bought in. I think they throw them in the sea anyway. Yeah. That's all very well. It's a bit of an expensive way of doing things. Well, in, in, indeed. I mean, the respected cruiser forum, Noon Site, which everybody goes to, don't they, for information? Yeah, they've it's got, a good site, that. It is a good site. They've got a, 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 they've got a, a, a sailor on there, Klaus Müller, a Swiss guy. He's a former soldier, and he's also a sailor. And I've just made a note of his points. He says, first rule, never show a firearm unless you mean to kill. Number two, are you trained to do this? Number three, so your chances of killing your opponent are zero if you're not. Number four, add in crying kids, a sloping deck, it's pouring with rain. His conclusion is, in capped up, firearms on board is the wrong option. The only weapon I would want is Rene on board. Yeah, well, Rene. We'll take a tape recording of Rene. That yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> scare everybody off. Yeah, I oh. like it. I like it, yeah. And um, so we've also, uh, Dick, uh, haven't we got Delos? Yes, yes. Uh, that, that's Brady Troutman. That's uh, that's the brother of the gentleman we spoke to in the initial podcast about, um, uh, sorry, in the initial feature about, uh, about Delos. That was Brian, his brother. This is his younger brother, Brady Troutman. Um, and he went up, well, they all went up uh, into the Arctic uh, on a boat there, a beautiful classic swan. And the strange things we've been talking about, about guns. And there, uh, the authorities uh, up in this island, they went round, it's a Norwegian island. Uh, you have to have a gun. And you're not allowed in if you don't. You, you have to hire a bolt action rifle in order to defend yourself against hungry polar bears. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, we're so going, there you go. We're that, gonna... that's, the, that's the other side of the coin. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah, lots to do and uh, some great podcasts coming up. And uh, Ocean Sailor, by the way, I just want to say, is really, really racking up uh, uh, new subscribers, uh, sort of six, eight, ten people a day. So uh, finally, the word's getting out there. That's all good, eh? That's so, great. Uh, okay, well, that's about it for today, isn't it? So it is. So the silver bullet of fate impacts on the full polyester jacket of personal buoyancy, and that's it. Oh, God. Yeah, I'll just say good night then. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye.